0: Bibles. Turn to James chapter 3. I don't know about you, but I'm excited. Anybody excited about Thanksgiving? Thanksgiving. Who are you excited? Man, I'm excited to eat some dressing. I don't know what in East Tennessee, I don't know what y'all call it. Mississippi, we call it dressing. It's not stuffing. You can dress stuffing up as much as you want to, but it ain't dressing. Give me some dressing. So if you got any leftover dressing, just send it my way. James chapter 3 verse 1 through 12 will be our text this morning speaking of Thanksgiving can we learn anything from a wild turkey can turkeys teach us anything wild male turkeys known as toms gobblers they have a unique ability uh, that when a tom gobbles all the hens within range uh, begin to answer and move toward uh, the tom now Uh, most of the time during spring mating season, the tom will make calls all day long waiting for hens to come to him unless he already has a hen. And he normally, most of the time, will not leave his hen to go chase after another hen uh, no matter how enticing that call might be. But there are exceptions just like in every other area of life. Uh, From time to time, a tom will go completely against what he knows to be true and leave the hen, most of the time never to return, because what sounded like a willing mate was in reality an imposter holding a gun. (laughs) Maybe you've had a difficult year, maybe you've had a tough year, and as you gather at Thanksgiving around the table, you're really struggling to find something to be thankful about. Well, let me help you out. Be thankful that you are not the turkey on the table, right? Be thankful about that. And so this Sunday, I want to speak to you on the subject, the wildest turkey at the Thanksgiving table, not on the table. The wildest turkey at Thanksgiving will not be on the table. Uh, they'll be seated at or around the table. I don't know if your house is like mine, but conversations can get interesting. At Thanksgiving time, we talk about family, sure, and hobbies, and sports, and work, and school, and etc. But sometimes we get to talking about politics, or impeachment, or religion, or uh, sanctity of life, or sexual gender revolution, and the conversation can get awkward, and it can get heated, quite a bit. And when these conversations begin to happen, the wildest turkeys at the table reveal themselves. So what I'm referring to as the wildest turkey is what James describes as an untamed tongue. Dr. Agent Rogers said it this way, the meanest member in your church is an untamed tongue. At the Thanksgiving table, the wildest turkey won't be on the table, it'll be at the table. So James 3, 1 through 12, I'm going to begin reading verse 1. Uh, you follow along as we go here. Verse 1, not many of you should become teachers, my brothers. For you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. For we all stumble in many ways, and if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle his whole body. If we put bits in the, into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. Look at the ships also. Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives, or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. Heavenly Father, we have entered this place under the authority of your word this morning. We submit ourselves and we surrender uh, to the presence of the Holy Spirit and the power of the Word of God. Everyone in this room that has dropped by today, every ear and eye that is listening and watching that have tuned in to our TV program or logged on uh, to our uh, live stream today or Facebook Live or however we're streamed this morning. Every one of us have an issue with our tongues. This text will touch every single person within the sound of my voice today. Every man, woman, boy, and girl. God, we know that James says our tongues are set on fire by hell. And I pray that through the surrender and submitting to your word today that we will discover the only one who is capable of replacing the hell in our mouth, the Lord Jesus. God, would you change us today in Christ's name? And everybody said amen. Amen. Our big idea, big truth takeaway today at the top of the back, back of your outline at the top is simple as I can say it, untamed tongues are tameable. Now that's the good news, okay? That's good news, but first we have to look at the bad news. And the bad news is no human being can tame the tongue. And in reality, there are five uh, realities I want to share with you in regards to the tongue that's not such good news, but bad news. And then we're going to get to the good news. But number one, First reality of an untamed tongue Untamed tongues will not be tolerated James makes it pretty clear uh, That these untamed tongues Will not be tolerated By God himself Look at verse 1 Says it pretty clearly Not many of you should become teachers Okay now understand the context James is talking to Jewish folks Uh, This was written AD 33 to AD 50 Uh, Synagogues in that day They had a common custom. The synagogues had great latitude in who would be able to teach. In fact, they invited strangers to teach quite often. Paul took advantage of that. Paul, as he frequently, would stand to teach and preach where he would travel. This was a common custom. Jesus, we're told in the book of Mark, that he traveled from village to village, preaching and teaching, and their what? in their synagogues. This was a very common custom. And so James understands that many people want to take advantage of the opportunity to be teachers. And James says, hold on, wait a minute. You need to practice some discernment here. Not many of you should strive to be teachers. Listen, in these early synagogues, they didn't have visitor parking. They had visitor preaching. Okay? I mean, just think about it. Just think if you're visiting today, you're a guest today for the very first time, and you come in, it's a bit awkward, isn't it? Don't really know what to expect. Would you be, how would you feel if we say, okay, you're a first-time guest, you're preaching today. Wow, that's how it was in the synagogues. That was a common custom. So James is saying, look, don't seek after the title. Here's what James is saying. The truth being taught is far more important than a title to be sought. They held teachers and rabbis in high regard. They were coveted positions that people wanted officially and unofficially to be teachers. In fact, Jewish uh, custom was that if a young man uh, began to follow a rabbi, that he'd be more loyal to the rabbi than he was to his own family because of the high regard they held teachers if a family was kidnapped and the rabbi kidnapped with them Jewish custom said the rabbi should be ransomed first because they held such a high priority so James is saying wait a minute don't seek after a title the truth being taught is far more important than any title to be sought and Jesus said the same thing in Luke 18 18 Jesus was referred to as a good teacher he was referred to as good teacher and what did he say When the ruler said, oh, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What did Jesus say? Why do you call me good? (laughs) God alone is good. Why are you calling me good? Can can I let you in on a little bit of of a secret? Pastors across the globe love to hear people say, oh, he's a good preacher. Boy, he can (laughs) preach. We love to hear that. Love to hear. This is ironclad proof that Jesus was not a Southern Baptist. Because he says, wait a minute, why are you complimenting me? Don't compliment me. Don't call me good teacher. No one's good but God alone. No one. Jesus, I mean, this is, Je- this is the author and perfecter of our faith. This is the beginning and the end who ensures that you and I will have no end. This Jesus, the Christ child, who became the cursed one hanging on Calvary's tree for you and me. This is the, the divine deliverer who delivers anyone who will dine with him. This is, the, this is the eternal God whom the Bible says who was, who is, and who is to come. This is our forever friend who is a friend of sinners, the grace of God given to us. This is the Holy One who holds us. This is the I Am who invites us. This is Jesus who justifies us. This is the Lord of Lords who loves us. The King of Kings who is our kinsman, the master of all masters who meets us right where we are. This is Jesus, the Prince of Peace, whose peace surpasses all understanding, This is the risen and reigning one who redeems us. The Savior who saves whosoever will. The way, the truth, the life. This is the word become flesh who dwelt among us. And he didn't give a widow's mite about what people thought about him. All he cared about was what the Father knew about him. And making the truth and love of the Father known. This is Jesus who says it's more important that the truth be taught than some title out here that needs to be sought. And I'm telling you, when you begin to teach, and it's it's very interesting that James begins with teachers when he talks about the tongue. Why? Because, hey, I don't know if you figured it out, but teachers like to talk. Preachers like to talk. And so as we talk more, we have more opportunity to make foolish statements and get ourselves in trouble. And James says, hold on, not many of you should become teachers. Right? Southern Baptist. I uh, heard in a revival not too long ago, Southern Baptists, the reason they don't speak in other tongues, they can't control the one tongue they have. <laughs> right? You should not be teaching, some of you. But all of us as a follower of Christ, every single one of us, every one of us as a follower of Christ is told to teach, all people of all nations to obey everything that God has commanded us. So, as a follower of Christ, you're held at a higher standard. Greater strictness is going to be, uh, you're going to be judged with greater strictness because you are a follower of Christ Jesus our Lord. And then James includes himself. Look at verse, into verse 1. Uh, For you know that we who teach, so James is not saying you who teach, but we who teach, he's including himself in this, will be judged with greater strictness. You are aware that you will be judged for every careless word you speak. If you know that, raise your hand. Okay, if you don't know that, raise your hand because you're going to be held, there you go. Every careless word you speak, you're going to be held accountable for. Jesus said by your words you'll be justified, by your words you'll be condemned. Every thought, that goes from here to your mouth and out of your mouth, you're going to be held accountable for. Every audible adjective and adverb, every angry accusation, every bit of gossip, every casual comment, every critical conversation, every evil innuendo, every exaggerated email, every flattering word, every quick quip, every shouted insult, every whispered threat, every unkind statement, every white lie, every foolish word on Facebook, every instigation on Instagram, every snippet on Snapchat, every dumb tweet on Twitter, every tic-tac, whoa, you hit on TikTok. Every one of them, you're going to be held accountable for. Every one of them. On top of that, if you're a follower of Jesus, you're going to be held accountable for what you say and don't say about Jesus, how you give biblical counsel. You're going to be held accountable All who follow Christ are held to a higher standard. And James is trying to make a point here that the truth being told is far more important than a title that you seek. So uh, here's here's a good way to kind of have some balance. If if you're a follower of Christ, when you speak, speak the truth, okay? How do I guard myself against, uh, as as I'm going to be judged? And look, we all fail, we'll see that in a minute. But teach the truth, speak the truth, and then preach, practice what you preach. If you will teach the truth in love and you practice what you'll preach, that's half the battle. I'm telling you, that's half the battle. President Calvin Coolidge said it like this, when it comes to things we ought not say, I have noticed that nothing I never said ever did me any harm. Number two, untamed tongues take us over. Verse two through five, untamed tongues can take over the whole course of our life. Here's how James says it in verse 2. For we all stumble in many ways. Every, say, I stumble. Everybody say it. I stumble. Say, I sin. Even up here, say, I err. I err. I err. Somebody up here is not a sinner, apparently. No, I'm just kidding. We all sin. We all lose our footing. We all go astray. We all err. We all sin. Again, James is including himself. He's not on some ivory tower pointing down saying, y'all need to straighten yourselves out says, no, we're all in this together. We've all stumbled in many ways. We all say dumb things, don't we? Don't we? We all make foolish decisions, do we not? We all get angry way too quick. And we're too slow to forgive. We all criticize without knowing the facts. All of us execute others but excuse ourselves. We make mountains out of molehills, don't we? We listen, or we speak before we listen. We turn our words into weapons. We belittle any and everybody who doesn't believe like we do. We all do this. We all stumble. We all fall. And, and, and what's interesting about Romans 3, 23, that we all fall short of the glory of God, nobody looks at verse 22. Nobody reads that there's no distinction like, there's no distinction between Democrats and Republicans, black, white, conservative, liberals, moderates, male, female, young, old, rich, poor. There's no distinction. See, here's what we do. In our mind's eye, we have these boats, and we have Republicans in a boat, Democrats in a boat, conservatives in a boat, liberals in a boat, moderates in a boat, young people in a boat, old people in a boat, rich in a boat, poor in a boat, black in a boat, white in a boat. And we have all these boats— And God looks down on planet Earth, and he sees one boat, one boat full of the people of this planet who have gone rogue against him. We're all in the same boat. That's what James is saying. We are all in the same boat, and that boat is sinking without Christ. So we all stumble. And then he says, if anyone does not stumble on what he says, he's a perfect man, able to bridle his whole body. What's he saying there? Here's what he's saying there. How you use your tongue is an indicator of your spiritual maturity or lack thereof. We can use our tongue to affirm or alienate. We can use it to offend or befriend, to encourage or discourage, to be kind or unkind, life or death. So the way you use your tongue is an indicator of your spiritual level of maturity. And then he gives us two quick illustrations. He uses a horse and a bridle and bits and a rudder on a ship. Now think about those two things, a bit and a rudder, very small. And and, and they can be used to direct and guide, but there has to be somebody pulling the reins and turning the wheel on a ship. There has to be a captain of the ship. Jesus is the captain of our salvation. There has to be somebody steering the rudder. There has to be somebody pulling on the reins of the bit. Otherwise, they're of no use. And so the tongue is a small member, but it boasts of great things. Think about how small the tongue is. Two to three ounces maybe makes up one-tenth of one percent of your entire body weight. Nothing in your body weighs less than the tongue. I mean, it's, it's small. It doesn't weigh that much. And, and so many of us who need to lose some weight, we're not overweight because of the weight of our tongues, right? I mean, that's not the problem. The taste buds of our tongue may be the problem, but the weight of it is not. It's just a small member of our body, yet it causes so much damage. It destroys lives, and it takes ours over. I, I was reading, 1973, there was a market crash here in America about... 50% of the market crashed, and there was a shortage of electricity, gas, oil. There was a shortage of onions. Tanya would have loved that. She hates onions. There was a story that leaked during that time that Japan had a shortage of toilet paper. That got to the U.S., got to a U.S. congressman, said, and I'm, he really did say this. I'm quoting this. The U.S. may face a serious shortage of toilet paper within a few months that is sure to touch many Americans. I, mean, he really did, I didn't make that up. He really did say that. And so people joked about Johnny Carson was making jokes about a toilet paper shortage. Millions of Americans raced to stores and outlets, bought up all the toilet paper. And for four months, there really was. They had a BYOTP rule, bring your own toilet paper. Wherever you went, to work, baby showers, didn't matter, bring your own toilet paper. They were selling it on the black market. Come to find out, it was all a farce. Was a lie. It was based on gossip and rumors. Oh, how the tongue can just take us over. Number three, untamed tongues tear others down. James says this about a forest that's set ablaze by such a small fire. Fire is good, it can be used to heat and to cook and to guide. I mean, it's not all that bad, but man, one little spark can set a forest ablaze. Think about the Chicago fire in 1871, which wasn't the most deadliest fire even on that day in October. There was another fire the same day that killed three times, as, four times as many people and destroyed 2,400 square miles. Both started by a small spark. Stephen Davies said it like this, your tongue is like a pilot light that burns as long as there's gas in the line. We'll never get rid of that pilot light because the gas lines reach down to hell and the supply of gas is endless. Just the flip of a carnal switch and it will burst into flames and the flames can last as long as you keep the switch on. From kindergarten to adulthood, we must seek more to hear than to be heard, to listen than to speak. Here's here's some good advice from James. Bite your tongue. (laughs) It's better to bite your tongue than wish you had. Kindergarten teacher was asked by a little, one of her kindergarten, a little boy, wanted her to help him get his boots on his feet. He was struggling. So she got down there and pulled and pushed and pushed and pulled. And by the time she got the second boot on, she was sweating. just beads of sweat running down her face. And the little boy looked up at her and said to his teacher, uh, th- these boots are on the wrong feet. So she yanked them off, pried them off, pulled them off, pushed them on again and again and again, and now she's sweating profusely. Gets him on his feet, and he looks at her and says, uh, these are not my boots. <laughs> Instead of yelling at him, she bit her tongue. She mustered up some Grace and pulled those boots off, and got them off, and the little boy looked at her and said, these are my brother's boots, and my mama made me wear them today. (laughs) She didn't know whether to laugh or cry, yell or scream. She again found some grace and pushed him on his feet and got him up, put his coat on, and said, wear your mittens, and of course, he said, I stuffed them down in my boots. (laughs) Isn't it better to bite your tongue than wish you had? Isn't it better to bite your tongue than give somebody a piece of your mind? Man, the power of the tongue, it can tear others down. You know, a fascinating story in the NFL, uh, you know, a brutal mistake to take off somebody's helmet and use it as a weapon. Uh, recently but what amazes me about that story is Miles Garrett claims that the quarterback Rudolph made a racial slur that he said something that provoked him and so we don't really know if that was said or not I mean I'm sure there's speculation on both sides but don't really know but it's interesting to me that the story is ongoing because of the power of the tongue little member has so much power so much power. So, when in doubt, don't talk. When in doubt, don't post. When in doubt, don't send it. When in doubt, don't text. Just don't. Here's a good rule TKN rule. Write that down TKN. TKN rule. T stands for is it true? Is what I'm about to say, post-text, is it true? K stands for kind. Is it kind? Is what I'm about to say, post-text, is is it kind? N stands for necessary. Is it necessary? If it's not true, if it's not kind, if it's not necessary, don't say it. Feel free to keep your opinion to yourself. Feel free to bite your tongue and just don't say it. I know there's times you have to to say something that's necessary. And it's going to be hurtful because it's the truth. And the truth hurts, but we speak it in love. I'm not suggesting you don't do that. But I am saying if it's not true, kind, or necessary, don't say it. What's the point? Just don't say it. Untamed tongues tear others down. Number four, untamed tongues can't be tamed by us. Uh, this is interesting in verse 7 and 8. I find it fascinating that James here is writing about for every kind of beast and bird of reptile and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind. I'm surprised that there's not a, a note there or something in parentheses or an asterisk that might read every kind of beast and bird of reptile and sea creature can be tamed except for cats. But it's not there. So even cats can be tamed apparently. But no one, no human being can tame the tongue. We can... We can bite our tongues from time to time. You know, we can have a filter and we can, in certain situations, attempt to listen before we speak. And sure, we can do those things and, and, and we can... But you know, at some point, we just get so frustrated and angry that we explode, don't we? When you're angry, you will make the best speech you'll ever regret. So bite your How how do I do that? I know it can't be tamed by us. It's impossible. I mean, this is a battle we're in. It's it's a battle. Some some days you're going to, some situations you'll win the battle, some situations you'll lose the battle. But in Christ, I'm telling you, in Christ, you can win more than you lose. We're not in heaven yet. We're not perfect. We're just not there yet. And so we have a constant battle with this hell in our mouth, known as the tongue. In fact, James says, not only is it a fire, it's a deadly poison. And if you think about poison, poison doesn't always kill instantly. Sometimes it, over time, poisons to the point of death. Think about how many marriages, how many families, how many churches, how many friends have been destroyed because of uh, gossip and rumors that are untrue. Think about that. You know, we've got a dog and a cat in my house. The dog is Bailey. The cat is Oliver. Bailey hates me. We've had the dog 18 months. When I come home and I get out of my car in the garage, I have to put on one of those German shepherd suits <laughs> so I won't get attacked when I walk in the door. The dog hates me that much. Barks at me. I can tell the dog to, 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 to come here and it... Bailey goes the other way. I can tell her to go outside. She'll just stand there and look at me. I can tell her to come in. She stands there and looks at me. I can say to the cat, go outside. The cat goes outside. I can call the cat to me. The cat comes to me. The cat acts like a dog. The dog acts like a cat. The girls have the dog tamed, and I have the cat tamed. So the point is, all these animals can be tamed and have been tamed, but no human being can tame the tongue. Listen to me very carefully. We just sung a song called Jesus. Did y'all hear that song? Jesus. Wasn't that a good song? (laughs) Jesus. When I think about Jesus, I think about heaven. When I think about heaven, I think about Jesus. So only heaven, only Jesus, only heaven can replace the hell that is in your mouth. Only heaven. We can't tame it, but he can, and he has. Here's the last one. Number five, untamed tongues tattle on us. Your tongue is a tattletale, and your tongue is not a tattletale on other people. Your tongue is tattling on you. They tattle on us. You know, uh, Zephaniah, that song we released a couple weeks ago, I've still not heard from McCray. I don't know why. Uh, <laughs> but there's one review of that song on iTunes. Somebody wrote one review. We didn't know she was gonna write it. This is what it says. My dad wrote this song, Zephaniah. He has done lots of songs, but hasn't even published them, so happy. Uh, There you go. Belle wrote that review. Now, I'm not sure if she's so happy that I finally released a song. Or if she's happy that I've only released one song. I don't know. But it tattled on her, didn't it? Our tongues do that. They tattle on us. And so here's what James says in verse 9 through 12. He makes it pretty clear. With it, we bless our Lord and Father. And with it, we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. It's tattling on us. With our tongues, we love and we hate all at the same time. We compliment and tear down all at the same time. We proclaim Christ and lie to each other all at the same time. We forgive and lose our temper 10 minutes later all at the same time. We come in on Sunday and we sing and we worship and we give God praise, and by the time you get home, you're going to be tearing somebody down. We all struggle with this. This isn't a you thing or a me thing, it's a we thing. We all struggle in this area. And James is reminding us here in James 3 that a sharp tongue is the quickest way to cut your own throat. That our tongue tattles on us, man. It tells what's truly in the heart. That's what it does. And that's the whole point here at the bottom of this in 11 and, and 12 is, hey, how can salt and, and fresh water come from the same, same spring? It can't. How can a grapevine produce, uh, produce uh, figs and... Uh, an, an olive tree uh, or a fig tree bear, bear olives. How, how It can't happen. Right? So the point is, the, the problem that James is pointing to, the heart of the problem is the problem of the heart. What's on the inside is going to come out. It's what makes us unclean, not what goes into our mouths, but what comes out of our mouths. And sometimes, sometimes when we stick our foot in our mouth, we might can be quick thinking on our feet. For example, there's a young man who was working in the produce section at a, at a grocer, and grocer, a and, um, lady came up, older lady, said, I'd like to buy half a head of lettuce. He tried to dissuade her from buying half a head of lettuce, and she wasn't having it. So he said, well, I need to go talk to my manager. So he turned around, went to the back. She's following right behind him. He doesn't know it. He walks in, looks at his manager, and says, there's some old lady out here who wants to buy half a head of lettuce. What am I supposed to do about that? And then the manager's face was like, and he realized that lady's right behind him and he turned and looked at her and that, that young man very quickly said, and this nice lady wants to buy the other half of that head of lettuce. Isn't that nice? That's quick thinking, right? The manager said, hey, that's really quick thinking. Good job. He said, where are you from, son? He said, I'm from Toronto, Canada, the home of beautiful hockey players and ugly women. And the manager looked at him and said, my wife's from Toronto, And the boy said, oh, what hockey team does she play for? He's quick, 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 quick on his feet, right? Sometimes we can be quick on our feet, sometimes. But sometimes our foot's so far in our mouth, we can't get it out. So this is, listen, it's an ongoing battle that every one of us are fighting. We're all fighting this battle uh, with the tongue. But I want to point you to one verse of Scripture. If you have your Bibles, I want you to take uh, a right in your Bible from James to the very next book. It's called 1 Peter. Okay, Go to 1 Peter chapter 2, go to verse 22. 1 Peter 2, verse 22. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 22. This is speaking of Jesus. The He here is in reference to the Christ that is Jesus. And the Bible says, He committed no sin. Neither was deceit found in His mouth. You realize the only human being, now again, Jesus is 100% God, 100% man, but Jesus was the only human being that never had to apologize for something he said. Think about that. He never had to apologize for something, because he never sinned in what he said, he never sinned in what he did. Think about when Jesus, think about this. Consider Christ, consider our Lord, consider uh, the the Savior who was led like a lamb to the slaughter. And the Bible says he didn't open his mouth. (laughs) He didn't, in other words, he didn't accuse you and accuse me, (laughs) he didn't defend himself, he didn't open his mouth. And the Bible says that he, as he didn't open his mouth, that he opened his arms, he opened his hands, he opened his heart for anyone who would believe, whosoever will believe. And he took upon himself our sin and our guilt and our shame and our punishment and God's wrath and your penalty and mine, and he took it to the cross and he breathed his last and he died. And they buried him. And he rose from the dead. And the Bible says that one day every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. I don't want you to wait till that day. It'll be too late for those of you who don't believe. I pray today you will stand up and say, I want to confess Jesus as my Savior Today, because Jesus did not open his mouth when he died on the cross, I'm ready to open my mouth today and confess him as. Lord, I pray you open your heart. I pray the Holy Spirit has pierced your heart. I pray that you've heard this good gospel, that Jesus has done for you what you could never do for yourself, that the only way this old tongue can be tamed is to have heaven replace the hell that's in your mouth, and that heaven is Jesus. Yeah, you won't win all the battles, but you'll win more than you lose. And Jesus and him crucified is the way, the truth, and the life. And I pray today that you'll admit your sin, you'll believe in and on Jesus as Savior and you'll confess him as Lord. Isn't it time to do that? Isn't it about time for you to do that? Man, what has this life offered you? I mean, come on! Man, isn't it time to come into the presence of a holy God through the person of Jesus Christ? Man, it's time, church. It's time for any lost person, unbeliever, one who's had any doubts to come and say, today I'm making Jesus my Savior. I'm going to confess him as Lord. We're going to give you an opportunity to do that in a moment. For all the believers in the room, those of you who will say, yes, I'm a follower of Christ. Uh, Yes, I I mess up and I stumble as well. We all do. Okay, even when we come to Christ, we still stumble because we're in this old flesh. Although we have a new nature, we're in this old flesh. So I want to challenge you believers. I want to challenge every believer in the room with a Thanksgiving challenge. I don't know about at your house. But at my house, there's plenty of opportunity to share Jesus because the people there need him. You, you know how it is at Thanksgiving, huh? I mean, we've got some. It's it's interesting. It, we, we do Thanksgiving with Tanya's mother and then my mom. And Tanya's mother uh, likes to eat Thanksgiving dinner at 9 a.m. <laughs> I'm not making that up. 9 a.m. 9.30, she's cleaning up. By 10 a.m., she's got all the Thanksgiving Decorations put up and she's ushering you out the door. Good to see you. And I go, on. my mom, we eat at her house at 9 p.m. She wants you to come and just stay. And then I'm, are we going to eat? So, well, we hadn't cooked yet. So, we don't eat there till 9 p.m. It's the strangest thing. But at both opportunities, there's opportunity to have a gospel conversation. Last year, Tanya's stepdad's dad, who recently died just a few days ago, is 93 years old. Her stepdad's dad. I had the opportunity to engage him in a conversation and just share Jesus with him. He told me he was saved, gave me his testimony. But I took advantage of that a couple years ago. There's going to be somebody at the table this year at your Thanksgiving gathering that may not be there next year. Uh, you need to have a conversation with them about Jesus. And so what I want to do is I want to pray for you. I want to pray that God will give you opportunity, boldness, and compassion to have gospel conversations at the Thanksgiving table. So this is what I need you to do. If you'll commit to being willing to take advantage of that opportunity when God provides it at Thanksgiving, I want you to stand up. All over this place, I just want you to stand to your feet because I'm going to pray over you. So I want you to stand up. Thank you for standing up. Thank you. I'm going to pray over you, then we're going to have an invitation as we sing, and then after the invitation, we'll be dismissed as I close this. But I want to pray, if you'll bow your heads with me, I want to pray that you will take advantage. God will give you divine appointments around the table, around your gathering at Thanksgiving, and you'll be able to share Jesus.